I am super excited to have you back for another episode of Red Receipt. It's a deep dive into the how and why of the brands we love and the creatives behind them. From blueprints to launch day, customers as community, and the detours in between. Big lessons and easy listening. Red Receipt is hosted by Antidote, the email and SMS marketing agency by people who hate boring email. Where are you? Uh, where are you based out of? Uh, I'm in LA. What about you? Oh, I'm in Orange County, close by. Oh, okay, cool. I couldn't tell you by from? your your background. Yeah, I'm just floating in the ether. Exactly. Right. Are you from LA originally? Uh, no, I'm from a suburb of Chicago, but my husband's family is from LA. Oh, cool. How long have you lived in LA? Uh, about eight years. And did you, how did you end up making your way out to LA? Uh, was it for your husband's family or? Um, yeah, at that time it was because I actually had a remote job at that time. So I was open to moving and, you know, we were in New York for the previous eight years or so, eight or nine years. So yeah, I was open to the change and that was before I was in beauty. And now that I'm in beauty, makes a lot of sense to be here so it all kind of worked out what were you doing professionally before launching the brand and being in beauty so professionally I well I studied engineering in uh, undergrad so I have two different engineering degrees and then I have including a master's um, in engineering management which kind of fuses both the business and uh, industrial engineering side of things or I guess it could be any any discipline um, that was all on the east coast uh, worked for Lehman Brothers in the finance world. They went bankrupt, ended up joining my dad's company, which is in the pharmaceutical space, and uh, worked there for six years and definitely had some great flexibility in terms of working remote because my job was going to all the production facilities around the world. And it was a really great experience in terms of product development and understanding quality, which, you know, you kind of know where that's going, um, really set the stage for, you know, when my interest in beauty peaked and I, I you know, fell in love with this opportunity to really bring, um, you know, heritage-based traditions or, you know, Ayurveda, which is, you know, part of my tradition uh, as a first-generation South Asian American, you know, bringing that into the, into the mainstream, it just made a ton of sense. And so I had moved while I was working at my dad's company and then kind of evolved after that. Um, but yeah, the LA is a great place to be in beauty. Did you know while you were working uh, in that business that you wanted to start something of your own? Yeah, I, I grew up 
um, watching my dad grow his business. So he immigrated from India in the seventies and he started his own company that my mom also then worked at as well. And so we had this family business uh, in the suburb of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, actually, and then later moved to Chicago suburb. You know, I, that was like their life and their livelihood and and still very much is. And, and so I was just a part of that growing up. So I always had that environment or that idea, you know, grew up with an entrepreneur and spent a lot of time over my summer breaks, you know, working in my dad's office. And then of course, later in life. And so it's just always been a part of, uh, I guess my DNA in many ways, but I didn't really have that idea or that spark. And I was pretty passionate about my dad's business. So I didn't really have a reason to start my own thing. And, and I genuinely felt that working with my dad was honestly my own thing. It was very entrepreneurial and I had a lot of leeway to, to start new divisions and to really grow the business. So I kind of thought I was being an entrepreneur until I came up with this, you know, I don't know, this like idea that really wanted to, it was just so passionate about bringing to life. And then it was only then that I kind of started to think, okay, maybe entrepreneurship is actually starting my own thing rather than my dad's. And what, what was like the core idea that initially sparked you becoming so, so interested in jumping into it? Um, so the core idea is essentially around Ayurveda, which is an Indian medicinal science, and it's been around for a long time. And through that, there's so many beauty traditions. And even if you look at cultural beauty, you know, from Korean beauty to Japanese beauty, like big brands like Shiseido, I mean, cultural beauty has actually you know, been a very big platform or baseline for through which beauty has become innovated. You know, whether you talk about skincare or makeup, even things like eyeliner, it all stems from cultures and they all have a purpose. And I think a lot of that has sort of been pushed to the side, but now there's sort of been this like big resurgence of really understanding the origins. And when I started about four years ago, that definitely wasn't the case, but that's kind of the reason I started it because I felt that Indian beauty traditions and some of the ingredients that we have that we grew up using were not available. And there weren't really, they were kind of still stuck in the age that, you know, that they were discovered in, in many ways, like still those same recipes, mixing powders. And I wanted to create a modern day elevated version of all of that, because that's kind of what resonated with me, someone growing up in the US. So I wanted to see those traditions represented um, seamlessly with modern life. And I also wanted to challenge the fact that Indian beauty wasn't just for Indian people. I wanted to challenge that so it could be seen through other cultures and other people could really connect with it. And I saw, you know, yoga became very universal. Meditation was something that a lot of people were, are embracing. And same thing with, um, adaptogens and supplements. I mean, these are all really derived from the same science that we're talking about. And I just never saw it being talked about within the skincare realm. And I saw the ingredients surfacing everywhere, like turmeric mask of this and this type of serum and ashwagandha, which is a huge adaptogen, saw it everywhere in the skincare world, but nobody was telling that cultural story. And so it's really what I wanted to bring to life. How did you initially start working on the on the the brand and also the product i know you said you had great product development experience from working with your dad's business yeah i mean i started by just starting it you know i don't i think that's 
I know it's such a simple answer, but sometimes it's the hardest thing is to just get started. I started mixing different ingredients. I started visiting different manufacturers and um, essentially iterated myself <laughs> until I got to the point where we created something really special. And how did you think about launching the, the product once you had iterated and uh, found like the, the initial first collection? Was, um, it, was it really like a retail play at that point or? Um... It was because I think Ayurveda was such a, um, and still is like a concept that feels like it needs a lot of education to go with it. And so my idea was, hey, if I go B2B, having this retail play, I'm going to get the validation that I need for this because I felt like being an unknown DTC, doing all the education myself felt like, well, I kind of need to be at like a Neiman Marcus or like a whatever to just say, hey, we vouch for this thing and it's something new and up upcoming. And so I thought that was my strategy, but I also was like, came from a very B2B world. So in my mind, I didn't know anything about marketing or really any of that. So I just kind of started where I knew. So I, I actually launched a brand at a now defunct, um, well, I guess not really, but they don't have this trade show anymore. So it was called um, Indie Beauty Expo, which now has like morphed into like a media group. But at that time, um, they did have a, a physical trade show where people would exhibit. And that's actually where I launched the brand and met the Neiman Marcus buyer and got launched on Neiman Marcus. So that's really how it all started was um, B2B. So working with retailers, that was the strategy. I always knew you had to be omni-channel. And I think that's something that in that time, it was like still very hot days of customer acquisition costs were low, social media, like people could unbox something on social media and it could actually result in a sale, which is like now that's just not even the case. Um, so it was, it was still during that time. I just think that wasn't where my background was. So from, for me, it was starting where I knew and, and really working with retailers was where I wanted to start. What products did you initially launch with? And also what was it like having Neiman Marcus be one of, if not the first retail partner? It was awesome. I mean, the person that brought me on at Neiman Marcus uh, she and I still work together and she's actually not at Neiman Marcus, but she now runs her own business. And we, she just always saw something in the brand and that's kind of what started it all in many ways. And so I always kind of look back to that day. It was like my first day on the job in many ways. And like, I, I think so many of the things that have happened over time actually happened on that day. Um, no pressure for anyone that's like on their first day, uh, but I didn't know it at that time. And, and it was really, it was actually kind of cool to, to get that type of feedback because I didn't do a lot of consumer studies and it wasn't about like filling a niche or a void. Like, yes, I could look back and say that, of course, all of those things were there, but I just wanted to launch it because I wanted to do it. Like I believed in it. I mean, I didn't care if nine out of 10 people said that was a dumb idea. I mean, I was going to do it anyway. So I was like, why even bother? I love the honesty of <laughs> like, uh, yeah, just doing it purely for your own interest first. I think that also leads to like you being the most interested in the product that you developed. And yeah. Yeah. I'm my own customer. I mean, I, 
solely use my line in terms of skincare, which I know that should be obvious, but I don't know that that's always the case and not to like compare or say anything. It's more just what I, what I, the reason I bring that up is because I am my own customer and I believe so strongly in it that to me, it always just felt like I got to do better for myself. I've got to iterate. I want something more. I want something better. And we've, we've taken our product, you know, to kind of even answer your earlier question, what did we launch with? Well, I've actually like even grown as a product developer too. And a lot of the things we launched was like, we don't even have. And that's because I, I genuinely think I'm not afraid of learning and growing. And like when I initially started, my packaging was okay, but the idea, I think, like people loved the story on Indian royals and what they did to live forever and these cool new ingredients and the scientist that was like creating all of it, right? And and they liked the background. And so that's kind of what was like really the cornerstone of what was carrying the brand. The products were good. I don't think they were like these you had to do a lot of work around them. There were like uh, a powdered mask and you'd have to like mix it. And, you know, I had this whole concept of like mixing and masking, um, which ended up being like a lot of work. And I now realize like the mask category is, is super tough because people don't really, that's not like a daily use product. But either way, I think at that time it was like, okay, I had the storytelling. Something was working for me. And that was opening some doors, but I also knew things could be improved. So then, then I actually spent a lot of time working on a whole, like, which actually created our hero product, which is the saffron serum. At that time, I was like, yeah, I really want to like this, like I, I, I've been loving this facial oil. I love the history of it. I love the ingredient of saffron. It's changed my skin. Like I just got so excited about it. So I started to develop that. And, and so that's when I got like a ton of traction off of that product. So now it's like, okay, I've got a good story. I've actually got a product uh, along with our hair serum that started to like actually show some movement. I started to see these other ones, like not really do much in the story. So I kind of started to shed those. And then I realized like my packaging needed work. So then at that time I redid all my packaging and we started using all custom glass and really building that. And, and now like the whole unboxing experience is just such a beautiful, just adds to the whole experience of the brand itself. So finally, like after, you know, three, four years, it's like, okay, I've got the story that was always there. That's been there. We've iterated on the products and now we have like, so many more hits, you know, it's the entire line is made of like really high performing SKUs. And if it doesn't, and I'm not saying that I like, like if something doesn't work, it's out, you know, it's, it's always that like, you got to earn this spot in our lineup. Even if it's like my own lineup, I still have to earn the spot. Um, and then finally we had the packaging. So now like four years in everything's resonating. And of course I'm still pushing it forward. Like now we have so many other things to do, but it was definitely, and is very much still in evolution. What, uh, what parts of the history of, of, uh, the saffron serum, like saffron itself, did you f find so interesting and also like the benefits that you saw from saffron in general? I'm curious about. Well, there's, there's so much. So from a aromatherapeutic, almost like medicinal lens, uh, saffron is anti-anxiety, which calms you. 
So actually calms your skin too. It's anti-inflammatory. It has something called a carotenoid, which gives it that beautiful bright orange color. Um, and that beautiful color is actually what is the brightening element. So it can even out your hyperpigmentation because it, it has this ability to do that, but also calming the inflammation. So you're really getting like a more, a lot of people use the common ingredient ascorbic acid or vitamin C to help with that, right? Like sun damage, that's really the main, one of the main signs of aging. So if you can kind of solve that, it's super important in the skincare world. So saffron plays in that space and in fact, does it better than the traditional ingredients. But when you dig in from like a cultural and really like aromatherapeutic medicinal perspective, it's that calm sense that you get that has really been drawn through time. Uh, it's more precious than gold per ounce, so more expensive. Um, and because of that, it plays a really pivotal role. So in Indian tradition, monks wear saffron colored robes because it symbolizes purity. I think it's because it gives you a very relaxed, calm vibe. And um, when you walk into a temple, oftentimes you'll smell the smell of saffron because a lot of people in India, as you walk into a temple on your third eye, you dab a little bit of saffron paste. And that's supposed to kind of like one, take down your anxiety level and like tell yourself that you're moving into like a different space and you've got to leave all the stressors behind. You've got to come as like your own soul into this like temple or, or whatever it is, right? It's like kind of leave the outside world behind. So saffron, not only from a cultural perspective, but also just like how, what it does to your body. And then of course your skin. And then it's also, as I said, very precious. So it's in a lot of desserts. It's again, calming. So a lot of at night, there's like a saffron milk that my mom makes and it's so amazing. It just puts you to sleep. So, so many different elements. Um, this particular oil, ha there's actually an Ayurvedic, it's actually, there's 18 different herbs in it. It's made in copper vessels in India. And there's a whole history on how this was called the miracle elixir about 5,000 years ago and how the most precious of the precious people, you know, the kings and queens use the saffron elixir on their skin. So there's a lot there. Um, and it really just touched me and, and I saw the, the results firsthand, which interestingly enough, and, and we talked about iteration uh, or evolution, we're actually getting the entire line uh, third-party clinical tested. Because I was like, I know it works, but now we actually have amazing data, uh, scientific data with measured instruments that show the benefit. So I think that's kind of like the next phase for the brand. At that time, saffron was not a popular ingredient within skincare, was it? No, I don't think it is still. I think it's pretty rare. I mean, it's super expensive. So I think that's kind of like a barriers to entry, but also I think I've heard about it more like within the, um, like drinks and, uh, yeah, it like, could be like food, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's been used in skincare very much. And I think part of it's like, you know, it's a pretty, it's not, well, one, it's a rare unique ingredient that is hard to produce on large scale. But two, you kind of, it has to be like core to your brand. And there's really no South Asian brand out there in that way um, or hasn't been. And so maybe that's part of the reason that people haven't really had a chance to discover it. How did you end up growing the business 
like as you're putting the pieces together and iterating over time and improving everything uh was the main channel of growth for you at that time still through the wholesale distribution it was until last year and we had been growing you know every year um i just think we were able to grow like you can scale your dtc so much faster than you can scale as a retailer because you own the customer you know what works so you know how to improve I don't know anything about who's buying my product from Sephora. I know nothing. I just get their PO. So it doesn't really help me make better decisions or know how to market it better. That's kind of their job in a way. So I think it's harder to scale more rapidly. I think it's, I mean, it's good to have omni-channel distribution, as we said before, but I did have a tipping point where I was growing a lot through retail channels. And then last year, I think it really coincided with the product packaging uh, and then just like kind of finding our voice on social media, it was like a pretty big overnight change in many ways, um, where we just consistently saw growth month over month, every month we just do more business and more. And, you know, at that time also, uh, it was 2020 then, uh, I guess like almost a year and a half, two years ago, um, stores were shutting down. So it was almost like, two things were happening, right? Like retail was shrinking, but then we were also growing pretty rapidly on uh, DTC. Um, this year, it's gonna be interesting. I think we'll still probably be majority DTC brand, but instead of 90-10, like we were last year, we'll probably be closer to my guess is like, I don't know, 60%. That's kind of my goal. I mean, I don't have a goal. I just want to sell as much as I can. Like, I don't, I'm not going to be picky about it, but I think it's a nice to have a good, healthy mix. And I think 60% feels good. What's it been like for you going into such a new industry and also like seeing such success with, uh, you know, retail stores that are so established in that space? Like, has it been a, has it been a benefit to you to have like a totally fresh perspective on how to build a brand like this? Um, I think so, but I don't think that that was really what was carrying me through, to be honest, because I, I think having, you know, Neiman Marcus and all these amazing retailers, of course, like it's, it's great encouragement, but it's not really paying your bill. Like if you're not a known brand, they're not like, they're a huge business they're, they're not they're like promoting you still have to bring the customer and create your own brand awareness and that's not a knock on any detail that's just like a general thing you know that's how people discover brands on social media they're not going into a department store and buying something new they're going into a department store to buy something they heard about already and because that's the case I think it provided me with exactly the right momentum that I needed and the right sign off you know, just kind of, but it wasn't giving me a lot of financial validity or stability like that. It kind of, it was great for mental, like, okay, I've got all the, you know, there are people, these amazing brands and department stores that believe in me, I should keep going. But that wasn't like something that was actually really adding to the bottom line very much. Yeah, that makes sense. What you you talked about finding your voice like in the uh, beginning of 2020, I think, from a social standpoint. What do you think 
aligned on that side of things to really like accelerate the the online growth and also well, just like the, creating more of a rooted uh, brand experience overall. I mean, I think the reality is I was trying to do it all along and it just didn't click until 2020. Like I, you know, that was always a goal. It's like, you got to be successful on social media. And I knew that from day one, but it didn't really happen. Like we were, I had a social media manager early on and it kind of felt a little, it was good, but it felt a little like, well, where's the soul of the brand kind of thing. And then we kind of improved our visual, we invested. I mean, it was just, again, like over time, but there was again, a tipping point that happened. Um, so I think I grew to like 20, 30,000 as like very slowly, like it took, it probably took three years to get to 30,000 and like six months to get from 30 to 90 is what essentially is what happened. And I think you just have to like grind it. I mean, it depends on who you are and what your talents are, but basically I was just grinding it out until I figured it out. And it could have been like, I could have gone to 5k or something super small over three years and it wouldn't have mattered because ultimately I ended up finding out what resonated and started to do more of that, whether it was like reels or just sharing more of the brand. I just think I never did that. And I was, I just didn't know how to do that. I didn't want to share much. And I still, like, I do it all on my own terms. Like, I'm not sharing anything personal in a, this is my family life stuff. Because that's not what people come to me for. They really don't care about that. They care about my skincare routine. And, and actually, like, I actually love talking about that stuff. So, so it all worked out. Um, I just didn't know how to do it. And as soon as I figured out and I saw something resonating, boom, I just started, like, doing more of that and you find that the feedback that you get on social is like a big point of inspiration for ideas in terms of like the conversations that you're having on um you know social is interesting because you only get feedback on what you've already done right like you kind of put out a piece of content and you see how it performs yes you can use that to make decisions on what to do next. And that's absolutely what I did, but you can't then edit that same thing. Like whatever's done is done. And so that's why I think it sometimes is a little bit hard is you can never change your current. You can only hope for improving it in the future. But I think that's also the thing that people need to realize, or that I'm sure people do is that it's very transient. Who cares? Will you posting is free. I mean, aside from like the time it takes, you could post a hundred videos a day or you could post one. I mean, it's really your time. Um, so I think you have to take that in, into consideration. Like, look, you just have to get a lot of at-bats and it's free to do that. It's free to learn. So you've got to keep trying. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like having the uh, mindset even to approach it like that is healthier than being so concerned about getting everything right. Yeah, I think that's kind of a big thing in any business. And, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of type A entrepreneurs out there, but then, you know, with that comes a lot of like perfectionism. And so sometimes what makes you really great can kind of be your Achilles heel. And I think there's any, everyone's going to fail. I don't care how perfect you are or how successful you are. That's like a thing that happens to every single person, um, whether you're, Jeff Bezos or not, uh, 
you're still failing. Um, so, but I think it's your attitude to it that will essentially provide you with that longevity. And so I think it's really hard because entrepreneurs are a certain type of person. It takes a certain type of person to be regimented and go after what you want. But with that comes a lot of like traits that you have to watch out for to make sure they don't hold you back too. How do you manage or how have you managed your own like mental mindset throughout growing the business? I think for me, it's, it's fun. I was like definitely thinking about that um, recently because I'm an ambitious person, but I never really, I don't think I define success in a way that's maybe traditional to other entrepreneurs or I mean I'm just kind of talking about myself I guess um I think I focus on the customer like I want my customer to be really happy if I get great feedback on oh my you know this one person told me like their mom passed away and this like candle reminds them of them she's like don't ever discontinue it because when I light it I think and I was like oh my god this is amazing so I get those messages. And to me, like if, even if something goes wrong and we're making it right for a customer and someone says like, man, you guys really owned up to that mistake. That's like what I get excited about. I'm not like, yes, I love selling product. I love growing my business, but the joy isn't in the results. I find those to be side benefits that happen over time. And I think that really helps me balance because my goal is to just keep doing what I'm doing is to bring people these products into their lives that are connecting with them in some way. And if I think about the customer experience, I mean, I just think about improving that and doing a better job and always keeping that first. And so I don't have other metrics that I care that deeply about in that way. That's amazing. Do you have you had to like uh, work at keeping that perspective throughout, and not being like distracted by by the other metrics? Oh, of course. I mean, when I was at like you know whatever small, and I still think I'm small social media following, but I mean, there are so many brands that like launched after me, that surpassed me, that launch at Sephora before that started after me. I mean, yeah, of course, when other people are doing what you want to do faster than you are, you're going to feel like, oh, man, am I doing something wrong? Like, what's going on here? Like, but I always just sort of come back to the fact that, look, I'm happy every year. I had, you know, 2000 dollars worth a month of orders and I was like super excited for that and still excited about whatever I have now and it doesn't really change my happiness level so why if I'm able to do that why should I let this someone else's oh a good quote is don't compare someone else's middle to your beginning or someone else's end to your middle or whatever it is. But like, basically it's like everyone has different steps in their career and their journey. Like the thing that you're going to do is think about how that person is like way far ahead of you, but whatever, that person had like their whole other beginning part too, that you're not seeing in the picture. So I think it's important. You got to keep that perspective. And I definitely tapped into that a lot um, when I would see these other things happening around me. I, I heard another quote that was like, uh, any 50% of any result is the context that the like strategy is applied in. 
And I think people have a hard time remembering that when they see like other brands trying certain things, then it, it's always just like, what are you not doing that you- Oh, yeah. You know, but you like, I think what's interesting to me is if I look at brands like testing things, you never actually know what's working versus what's not from the outside. And yet everybody is like just constantly bombarded and tempted to try to do similar things just because it looks like it could be working from well that's kind of where you go wrong I think is if you're yeah I I think the biggest power that any business has is like their unique voice and if you start to like imitate and see what other people I, I think it's great to get inspiration and everyone should know a little bit about what's happening right like if you know, I see like text messages do super well. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm not going to use text because my competitor is using it, whatever, right? Like you have to be smart about your business, but the brand voice and the authenticity and the journey, like you never want to stray because once you start copying, now you're just like that brand. And now you have like nothing to differentiate yourself and you totally eroded your own brand voice. And now your customer is the same customer as them. And then you actually now start eroding your own customer base and you start making more competition. Whereas really what you need to do is dig more into your own brand and attract that specific customer and like talk to find out different ways to talk to that person. I totally agree. I feel like the hardest thing for most people is just staying rooted in the original idea and concept behind the brand and going like, deeper and deeper and deeper into how you can bring that to life, which is also, if you do focus on that, like the most rewarding, uh, most interesting and like most creative things that you could possibly be working on within the business. But the like social environment that has been created makes it so hard to like release and let go and be in the present moment with like what you actually have in front of you. You have to be very disciplined, but if you're not disciplined, I think you're just making it harder for yourself because you're just a me too. And, you know, I see that person has pink packaging and it's selling really well. So I'm going to make all my packaging pink, right? Like that's something a lot of, I've actually seen that happen. And it's like, okay, well now you're just competing with that person even more. And you have like less to differentiate yourself. Why don't you keep your blue packaging, but figure out what makes you unique and like dial into that. Um, It seems like it would be the obvious, it's just a more long-term solution. I think a lot of people want like a quick fix of like, okay, if that person's achieving this and they're doing that, I'm going to be analytical and like try to copy. And that's, I I like to welcome anytime I see competition, it always is like a little tough to see like oh well another like beauty brand that's trying to say something similar and then I'm like wait a minute this is actually challenging me to be even more specific and to do an even better job telling my story all right I'm going to take that challenge on how did you think about or did you think about like uh creating a community like I'm thinking about you know you going into a new category and building a business in a new space uh 
did you think about building a community or like anybody that you could bounce ideas off of around you that had experience in the space? Um, I started to, you know, I think if you're, you have to start at your level. So like initially it was a lot of just like new beauty brand founders, just like me that are starting out that we just asked each other all the questions on like, what are you doing with this? And how are you? And then that community really helped. And of course, like I've always had like that Neiman Marcus buyer, you know, she's still in my life. Like I've always had mentors. I've collected way more along the way because you become more and more entrenched in the industry. And uh, I think once you've established yourself, of course, it's easier to reach out. But I always like loved having people that were way smarter and more experienced than me um, as advisors. And you'd be surprised at a lot of the, the level of free advice you can get um, because I definitely couldn't afford their paying advice, but you know, they were giving me free advice. So I was pretty into that. Um, so I think there's a great mix. I think you need to have people, I think it's a mistake to only think that super well-established people can help you. Like there's a lot of people at your level or even not in your industry, but more approachable that can help you. And then you for sure should do some reach and, you know, get people that you, that really believe in you. But I don't think it has to, I think you could sprinkle that in as you grow, but don't underestimate the value of just someone in your own position and learning from them. How have you, uh, how do you think about adapting to all the changes going on within, um, you know, like within e-com and direct consumer businesses, everything's constantly shifting. And also with the pandemic, like the shape of your business completely shifting online, how, uh, how do you think about adapting in, in those moments? I think for, well, we have a word of the year uh, at Ranavad. It's uh, content, content, content. I guess three words, but they're all the same word. <laughs> um, that's really the way I want to grow my business is through the story. The the product speaks for itself. We want to we want to tell more of those stories that I just shared with you about the saffron robes and what it means, and you know, dig into that and really like bond and create, as you had said a few times, like this community. I think it's been really easy for me to change because I'm so small. I think as we grow, it's going to be harder and harder. Like I didn't have a big brick and mortar retail business. It was tiny. So when the pandemic came and all the retailers were shut down, I didn't have like millions of dollars of inventory trapped somewhere. Like it was easy for me to pivot. Um, so I think over time, that's actually going to be a bigger challenge because we're going to be more and more entrenched in our ways. It's going to be a little bit harder to move the ship in different directions as there's an evolution, but as there always is. Um, but I think we want to lead by content and I think that will never go out of style. I think no matter what channel it's on, whether it's social selling or TikTok or Neiman Marcus, like I think content still wins on all of them. Definitely agree. I just feel like the ways that people pump it out are always shifting and changing, and also like how they absorb it is also obviously changing all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even faster. Like when TikTok first started, it was like a lot of certain type of videos, and now it's evolved into different types. It's like hard to keep track, but that's I think you can't get too caught up in 
the how or the what. You just got to get with it and learn. Yeah, that stuff and shift over time. Um, looking back since you've started the brand and also made the jump into doing your own thing, is there any advice that you would give yourself that might have, uh, you know, helped helped you along the way? It doesn't even have to change anything specifically outcome wise. Uh, I think, I don't know. I mean, from an advice perspective, I feel like I always defer to my mom because she's always the one that um, I'm always calling when I need some encouragement. But I think a big thing is having that like group of people. So whether we're talking about professional mentors that we had mentioned before, whether we said community, that could be social media or even just like your friend group. I think there are a lot of tough moments where you do need that encouragement and that support system. And feeling like, like I already think social media is a big competition and even LinkedIn is like a competition. Like everything is like, feels like it's this, you know, how successful can we be contest? And I think the more you can bring your friend group into, or just like the people you interact with to be genuine and there because your friend and you're so excited to shout their accomplishment as they are you, or even if all the accomplishments go away, that you still just care about each other as people. That's like the kind of community that I built out. My advice would be like, shed or just, I wouldn't say like cut anyone off, but more just like take a conscious stock of who's there when you started your business, when you were like zero and how did those people make you feel? How do they make you feel? And make sure that that's always a barometer for you, no matter where you are. Um, because having that incredible down to earth group is going to carry you through the tough times. Also, it's funny to think about the, like your comment about LinkedIn being, and I mean, every social platform just being like a massive competition for, uh, especially LinkedIn, how successful you've been. Well, LinkedIn is funny because it pawns itself off as not social media. So like, I know a lot of people like, oh my God, I would never join Instagram. I would never be on TikTok. Yeah, it's yeah. like, they're always on LinkedIn. Now, like, you know, that's like this literally the same dopamine or whatever, like thing that's happening. It's like, I think it's worse. It is kind of worse. I feel like you think like everyone's doing all these amazing career things. You're seeing like the top seven things that happened in a week in this world of half the people you probably like don't even talk to. Like, of course, it's going to make you feel bad. <laughs> like, it's going to make you feel like, wait, am I doing something wrong? Yeah. I, for sure. I mean, you probably don't talk to like 99.9% .9 of the people. I, I would bet you don't, you've never even met half of them, let alone don't talk with them. Yeah. But now they're making you feel bad, which is kind of like, yeah. wait, really? Like, that's I just think it's interesting too. Like the, uh, it's like Instagram combined with professional flexing, mm -hmm. uh, which is almost worse. I mean, it's, it's way more like Instagram, at least people pepper it with like, they have to like balance out what they're saying. This is more just like, I'm going to brag about what just happened to me. And like, look, I do it too. Anytime something big happens to me, I have to post it on my LinkedIn because you actually like, that's the sad thing is like, we all react to it. And so it becomes this like self-fulfilling thing because 
you did works. So when you need it to work for you, you need to spread the word about this thing that happened to bring new opportunities into your life. Like you kind of got to play the game a little bit. Um, and so I, I think I definitely, you got to use all the tools you have. So I'm not going to say like, don't do those things because I'm doing them all, but I think you have to know the role that they play and see kind of what's behind it so that you don't feel a certain way and you just know what that's all about. And I, I only, honestly, I only go on there when I need to share something and then I don't otherwise. How do you think about uh, launching new products and like uh, future development for the brand? I'm feeling super excited and motivated as I've always been. I think that has been something that I've always wanted to do more of. Um, but we're a brand that I think we really challenge ourselves to dig deep. So I'm not like if newness happens and it meets our bar and we can launch it. Amazing. Uh, we're not launching a new product a month to get numbers up. Um, and really like we're in a regrowth phase with growing so much and moving to a 3PL and launching into Sephora. It's like, I don't want to dilute what I'm putting out there. And frankly, I just don't know if I have exactly the time and energy to do something really well. So in a way, it's a challenge to myself and the team to say, we don't have a flash new product to talk about this month, but we're going to we're going to make our hero product continue. We're going to find new ways to talk about it. We're going to find new ways to, to, to share this line. And I think it's a good challenge. Um, I do have a lot of really exciting um, new releases in the works. So I hope it does happen though, but no pressure. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. I love the, the brand that you've built so far, the story behind it. And uh yeah, I would love to stay in touch too. Absolutely. Thanks, Sean, for having me on. I appreciate um, you taking the time.